Genesis 13 open. It'll be helpful for you as we make our way through this passage today. And our theme for today is signs of a stronger faith. Signs of a stronger faith. Some of you at some point in your life have had to undergo physiotherapy. Uh, maybe some of you are even undergoing it as, uh, at the moment. Uh, you suffered some injury which required surgery. And although the surgery was successful, physiotherapy was needed for several months afterwards. The muscles in your leg or your arm have been severely weakened. They're not as strong as they could be. They need to be exercised and worked upon to build up further strength. Other people don't need physiotherapy, but they want to strengthen their muscles nonetheless. And so they hit the gym two, three, maybe even four or five times per week. Uh, They go on a diet or they get up early. They, They do all sorts of things to maximize their strength. We all have bodies and muscles. The only question is, how strong are they? And we can ask the same question about our faith. If you are a believer this morning in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can ask ourselves, how strong is our faith? I want to be very clear that you're either saved or you're not. You're either a Christian, a follower of Christ, or you're not. And you cannot be any more saved than you already are if you're a Christian. We reject completely any notion that you need to do a whole list of works to get to some higher level, level of salvation. That's a, that's a false gospel. But nonetheless, if you are saved this morning, it's possible for your faith to grow stronger or to grow weaker. Some Christians are more fervent worshippers than other Christians. Some Christians cope with crisis better than other Christians. Some Christians have less love for the things of this world and more love for the kingdom of God than other Christians. All saved, all headed for, the king, for, for heaven and for life in the kingdom, but some stronger than others. Abraham and Lot are a case study for us of stronger and weaker faith. It would be easy to read this passage today and conclude, well, Abram was a believer and Lot wasn't. You just look where the two men end up at the end of this passage. Abram is in the heart of the promised land. And once again, he's worshipping God, chapter 13, verse 18. Lot, meanwhile, has moved to what was the boundary area, the border, sorry, the border area of Canaan and the land beyond Canaan. He's in the Jordan Valley. And in fact, he ends up moving all the way to Sodom, verse 12. And we all know what is going to happen to Sodom. And we might conclude from that, well, here's an example of one man with saving faith in God and another man who walked away from God and perhaps had no faith. But the Bible doesn't allow us to come to that conclusion because of what we read earlier in 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8. Three times in that passage, Lot was described as righteous. Righteous Lot Saved Lot, we could say. And that makes the message of Genesis 13 very different. It's telling us, that, that tells us that it's a passage about different strengths of faith. It should be the desire of every Christian to develop a stronger faith. To make sure that the muscle of faith, if you like, is well exercised. That our knowledge and love and 
desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ is stronger now than it was in days gone by, maybe two, three, four years ago. But the warning of this passage, friends, is that it's possible for a believer to settle for a weaker faith, to get bedded into the world, and to waste the opportunities for witness and worship that we have. And so as we look at Abram and Lot today, we see a contrast between their respective strengths of faith. And we want to think about three signs of someone who has a stronger faith or a growing faith. And so first of all today, I want to see that stronger faith deals with disputes graciously. Stronger faith deals with disputes graciously. In chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, we, we looked at them briefly last week. This is where Abram literally turns his back upon Egypt. He turns around and he comes back to Canaan. And he comes back to the place of worship. Verse 4 tells us that he came to the place where he had previously built an altar. And he calls upon the name of, of God again. And so this is Abram sort of setting the re- hitting the reset button in his walk with the Lord, if you like. Recommitting himself to the Lord. But Abram now faces a new test of faith. His wealth is growing. His livestock is thriving. His business is expanding. But so is that of his nephew Lot. And it gets to the point where the land literally cannot sustain them. Uh, We're told in verses 5 and 6 that there was strife. Some of your translations will have quarreling. Quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's. Livestock. They need to get further apart from each other. The, the land cannot cope with them all being so close together. So what does Abram do about this strife or quarreling that's developing? Well, just briefly, friends, let's think about what he doesn't do. <laughs> he doesn't go home to Sarai muttering about what a pain in the neck his young nephew is. He doesn't quietly begin whispering and plotting with his herdsmen about how to sort of force Lot away, uh, drive him off the land that they want. He doesn't start lecturing Lot about how, you know, this is actually my land. God promised this land to me. You're only here because I allow you to be here and it's time for you to head off. This is my place. No, he doesn't do any of that. Just three things to briefly notice about how Abram handles this dispute graciously. First of all, he is proactive in how he handles it. He's proactive. It's not a word we always like to hear. If someone, particularly young people, are told, you need to be more proactive. You need to be, you need to be thinking about what you're going to study or where you're going to go to university or college or what you're going to do for a job. You need to be proactive. Uh, to be proactive means to, to take the initiative. You don't just keep putting things off that you need to make decisions about. But when it comes to potential quarreling with family members or friends or even fellow church members, oftentimes we're not proactive. For whatever reason, we, we let situations fester. Perhaps we proudly think to ourselves, well, if so and so has anything to say to me, if they want to apologize to me, if they've got a problem with me, then they can come and say it to my face. Abram didn't do that. Abram, the the older man, the man who could claim first priority over the land, he takes the initiative in verse 8. He goes to Lot to sort out this dispute. 
So he's proactive. He's also personal. He's personal. Look at verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are brothers. Some of your translations will have kinsmen. Literally, the, the word there is brothers. Now, obviously, strictly speaking, they are uncle and nephew. But what Abram's saying here is that we, we, we share the same faith. We're, we're from the same household. We're family. We're blood. We shouldn't be fighting over this. This shouldn't be dividing our, our households. And just notice the little detail at the end of verse 7. I wonder when you read this, did you wonder why is that in there at the end of verse 7? It says, at that time the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Why does Moses tell us that? Well, it's because Abram and Lot's witness is at stake. This dispute has the potential to get into the ears of all their neighbours, all their pagan neighbours. And what are they, these pagans going to think if they see these two family members, these two men who worship the same God, some foreign God that the Canaanites have never heard of, they see them falling out and fighting. The Lord Jesus said, John 13, verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And too many Christians haven't paid attention to those words of Christ, particularly in recent years with the particular challenges that the church has faced, the wider church. There have been fallouts and divisions and people leaving congregations. This has been true in pretty much any denomination I'm aware of. Oftentimes because personal opinions weren't the majority opinion. Their pride was hurt. Their preferences weren't followed. There are legitimate times when, sadly, that the best thing that Christians can do to preserve their witness is to get some distance. That's what happens here between Abram and Lot. There are legitimate reasons for people to do that at times. But sometimes there's a pettiness. Sometimes there is a, a silliness and a, and a selfishness that leads to people being unwilling to resolve disputes. Jesus says, by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We're to remember in the midst of disputes that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That whatever differences of opinion, even sometimes legitimate differences of opinion. That we are forgiven, we are adopted, we are headed for glory together in Jesus Christ. And so we're to have a personal concern for one another and also for our corporate witness when we have to deal with disputes. And then the, the last thing to highlight about how Abram dealt with this dispute was that he was self-sacrificial. He was self-sacrificial. Look what he says in verse 9. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. In other words, Abram says, Lot... You can take first pick. You can go where you choose. And there were a number of self reasons why this was a self-sacrificing thing for Abram to do. Not least because, as I've mentioned <coughs> in previous weeks, 
Lot is the nearest thing that Abram has to legitimate offspring. Uh, Lot could perhaps have been treated by Abram as his sort of adopted son. And in some ways it might have been tempting for Abram to think that way and think, well, maybe this is how God's going to give me offspring, that Lot is sort of my adopted son. But Abram has faith to believe, in fact, that God will provide genuine offspring for him, even if Lot leaves him and goes far away from him. This was also self-sacrificing of Abraham because Lot gets first pick of the land. And again, they've just come through a time of famine. And the first thought in their minds is now going to be, well, how do we make sure we don't go through famine again anytime soon? Uh, What land do we choose that is least likely to result in a famine? And Lot is going to get first pick of that land. As well as that, it's self-sacrificing because Abram is Lot's elder. And in that culture, far more so than in our more silly and immature culture today, there was great respect given to elders, to older people. And so again, Abram could have pulled rank and said, I'm the older man here. I am the leader of this household. I'm going to decide who goes where. He doesn't do that. He's self-sacrificing. And all of this, friends, the, the grace with which Abram deals with this dispute, it is born out of his stronger and strengthening faith. His growing faith is the reason that Abram is able to handle this dispute in this way. He trusts in his God to provide for all of his needs, regardless of what Lot does. We saw last week that in going down to Egypt, Abram doubted God's ability to provide for his needs. He forgot God's promises. But now in this latest test of faith, Abram is showing signs of stronger faith. And that's how he's able to put Lot first and himself second. And of course, in everything that Abram does here in this little incident with Lot, he's a, he's a picture for us. He's like a, a living signpost to the Lord Jesus Christ who was also proactive, who was also personal, who took the initiative to resolve the dispute between sinful people and a holy God. Christ who has been self-sacrificing even to the point of death on a cross so that we could have the promises of God's blessing applied to us. We didn't deserve the gracious love of Jesus Christ any more than Lot really deserved the grace of Abram here. But that's what stronger faith does. That was what the faith of our Saviour did. It, it was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice to provide for us. And so in our disputes, which inevitably, sadly, do happen because sin remains in each of our hearts. In our disputes, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, fellow church members, have the mind of Christ. Remember the example of Christ and consider that it's a sign of stronger faith, not to insist on our own way all the time, but to deal with disputes graciously. So stronger faith deals with disputes graciously. Secondly, stronger faith sees further into the future. Stronger faith sees further into the future. And we thought last week, I mentioned to you about how Abram, when he sort of panicked and, uh, and came out with all this foolishness in Egypt, he was looking into the future with anxiety. 
And he thought that he saw the future in perfect detail, that all these bad things that were going to happen to him. But now he begins to, to look to the future with faith. But there, there are two times in this passage where people are told to lift up their eyes. Both Abram and Lot lift up their eyes and look around them in this passage. If you look at verse 10, first of all. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. So Lot's thinking, the Jordan Valley looks so good, this must be what the Garden of Eden looked like. Uh, He says it looked like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. What does Lot see when he lifts up his eyes? He sees what is immediate and attractive. He sees what is immediate and attractive. And again, the famine that they've just come through is likely in Lot's mind here. He doesn't want to experience famine again. And so his eye is drawn to the Jordan Valley, which I mentioned is on the sort of the border area of Canaan, the promised land, to the east. And it's interesting that Moses mentions again the direction of travel. I told you last week, Abram going down to Egypt was sort of an indicator of his spiritual direction as well as his physical direction. And likewise, in the book of Genesis, a few times we've been told about people turning east. Adam and Eve turned east when they were forced out of the Garden of Eden. Cain journeyed east after he had, he had murdered his brother and then was confronted by God. Turning east is often to turn away from God and his, and his blessings in Genesis. But it says that the Jordan Valley looked like Egypt to Lot. He wants to experience some of the the flourishing and the the beauty and the almost guaranteed success of Egypt. And of course, on a purely pragmatic level, all of that makes a lot of sense. But there's an ominous warning in verses 12 to 13. It says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Again, we know what is going to happen to Sodom, that God is going to destroy it for the awful wickedness that characterized that city. And yet that is where Lot ends up. This is where Lot settles down. Now remember how Peter describes him, 2 Peter 2 verse 7. Righteous Lot, saved Lot, who tortured his soul or who distressed his soul by living in Sodom. That's what Peter said. Although he's righteous, Lot is willing to sit right on the boundary line of where it is wise and right for a believer to be. Believers like this can be very confusing and very frustrating. One preacher in this passage talked about chameleon Christianity. You know what a chameleon is, boys and girls? This little lizard that it actually can change color. It can blend in with its surroundings to protect itself. Some Christians are like that. Rather than stand out from the world, they blend in with the world as far as possible. They, They spend their money just like the world does. They spend their Sundays just like the world does. They talk or act or web browse or web chat 
just like the world does. Boys and girls, maybe there are Christians like this uh, in your school, but it can be true of much older Christians as well. That's Lot in this passage. So far in the story, Lot just goes where Abram goes. Chapter 12, verse 4. Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Chapter 13, verse 1. Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him. So Lot has sort of been tagging along with Abraham so far. And in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. Abram is being led by the Lord and going where God commands. So it's good that Lot is going with him. But then comes the time for Lot to decide for himself where to go and what to do. And his first priority doesn't seem to be calling upon the name of the Lord. In the land of the Lord. With the people of the Lord. He goes to the first attractive place his eyes can see. He sees the short term gain of the fertile Jordan Valley. He doesn't see the longer term danger. Of living, settling in Sodom. And whether it's young people deciding where to study or who will be their social circle or where they're going to settle down. Or whether it's deciding how our budget is organized. Whether it's considering how our free time is best used. Friends, Christ and his people and his promises should be our first priority. So many Christians organize their lives around work or family or ambition or comfort. And the scraps of time or gifting or whatever else is left are given to a walk with the Lord or to the commitment to God's people. That's a totally wrong-headed way to organize your life. It's Christ first. And everything else is to fall in behind him. And, some, and a growing number of Christians I believe today are living like Lot. They are living on the boundary line of what, is what, of what is a wise and right way to live as professed followers of Jesus Christ. The distinctives of the church, the distinctives of the Christian life are being blurred and blended in with the way of the world around us. Why would you want to live in the very age of what is right and wise according to God's word? Why not live right in the middle of God's blessings and promises? That's what Abraham did. If you look at verse 14, Lot lifted up his eyes and now God tells Abram in verse 14 to lift up his eyes. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Abram has made the harder choices in this passage. But having made the harder choices, Abram gets further reassurance from God. I will give this land to you and to your offspring forever. Abram, Lot is not Abram's offspring. God will give Abram offspring. And Abram's stronger faith enabled them to see further into the future than Lot. Lot saw short-term gain. He sort of had the pound signs in his eyes. He could see the money he would make and the house he would build and the freedom from anxiety they would have in Sodom or in the Jordan Valley. Abram looked around and saw long-term promise. He saw the land of Canaan, albeit full of pagans, albeit just recovering from a famine. 
but a land in which God had promised to bless him nonetheless. How strong is your spiritual eyesight? Do you have faith to see what you could have in eternity and not just what you could have here and now? You could make investments for your own interests or you could make investments in the kingdom of heaven. You could fund Bible translation or a missionary family or individual. You could invite your neighbour in for dinner. You could sing psalms in Mount Vale. And as a result, in glory someday, someone might say to you, I'm here because of that. I heard the gospel because of that. You could be half-hearted about the church and say, well, the church is small and struggling. There's not much to get excited about there. There's far more to get excited about in the world. Or you could look with faith to the future and consider how Revelation describes the church in eternity. A great multitude that no one can number from every nation and tribe and language. Victorious, risen, worshipping and reigning with Christ forever. Stronger faith makes us longer sighted. Not sure if that's grammatically true, but it is certainly spiritually true and A good summary of what we're seeing here. Stronger faith makes us longer sighted. Again we consider the example of Christ. Hebrews 12 verse 2. For the joy set before him. In other words for the longer term gain. He endured the cross. The cross was what he saw in the immediate short term future. The joy of heaven's glory was what he saw in the long term future. And so he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Regardless of what we may face in the short term, friends, stronger faith enables us to see glory and joy, promises fulfilled in the long term. So stronger faith deals with disputes graciously. Uh, Stronger faith uh, sees further into the future. And thirdly and finally, stronger faith returns to worship regularly. Stronger faith returns to worship regularly. Look at, God, look at God's reassurances again to Abram. Verse 16. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. In other words, innumerable offspring. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Some of your translations might say there, walk to and fro in the land. In other words, just walk around it, look at it, take it in. And we saw that Abram did this to some extent in chapter 12 as well when he he first arrived in Canaan. He worked his way from north to south, walked around it. Uh, And some of the commentators point out that this was actually what kings would do in the ancient world. If If they were laying claim to a piece of land, Or if they had conquered a territory, the king would just walk around it. And everybody would see him walking around it. And that was him symbolically saying, this is my land. And that's what Abram is commanded to do by God. There are hints a few times in Genesis, we'll see it again next week, that Abram is is sort of an unofficial king. He's He's not recognized as a king by the world. He's never described as a king directly, explicitly. But he's he's almost treated like a king at various times. And God here tells Abram, 
king or not, in the world's eyes, to walk around the land that is his. And again, as I've mentioned, it's important to remember this is not empty land. This is not unoccupied land. The Perizzites and the Canaanites and others, unbelievers, are in the land. Legally, humanly speaking, it's not Abram's land. But as far as God is concerned, it is. And so God is telling them here, sample it. Get a taste of it. This is a little bit of what you will enjoy in eternity. Nothing better than a free sample, is there? Some people love, if, if you go into the supermarket and there's a free sample, you're thinking, oh, that's, this is a great day to be in the supermarket. Um, a few years ago, Hannah and I, we, we took a, a trip to London and we were in one of the, the train stations and we got stopped by some representatives from Coca-Cola and they had a new product that they wanted us to sample. And being a lover of original Coca-Cola, I was very excited and very willing, uh, but it turned out that it was Coke Zero and my consumer feedback was this would never take off. I said, just stick to full fat, full sugar, original Coca-Cola. It's the best. Obviously, my consumer feedback didn't come to much because the product did take off. But it was a free sample. And there's nothing better than getting a free sample. Well, friends, the Christian life, it's full of little samples of the resurrection life still to come. What we will be has not yet appeared, 1 John 3, verse 2. But we know that when he appears, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be like him. And we will have a land. And it will be this earth made new. And we will be part of a people. The seed of Abraham, innumerable, as Revelation concurs with what God says here. An innumerable people, too many to count. And we will worship, even as we worship here today. And that's one of the best ways to sample and get a taste of the glory and the joy and the contentment of eternal life still to come, friends. It's by returning to worship regularly. Look how Genesis 13 ends, verse 18. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. He returns to the place of worship. He keeps punctuating his pilgrimage with worship. And here he is, friends, by the way, with one less family member than he had a while ago. One less claimed offspring than he had before Lot left him. Facing a land full of pagans that's just come through a famine. And yet he believes God's word. And he worships the name of the Lord. And he exercises his faith. Ralph Davis says, The man with the promises consistently worships. We take time to sample the promises that God has made for us when we come and worship the God who has called us. Lot's settling down in Sodom. But stronger faith finds Abram in God's land. Worshipping God's name. Do you value the perspective that worship gives us, friends? I believe that as a congregation you do. That's evident by the commitment that uh, the vast majority of our membership shows to the place of worship here on the Lord's Day. 
And I would encourage you to continue in that and to build upon that. But value the place of worship. Value the perspective that worship gives. Whether it's your own personal worship of God, your family worship of God, or corporate worship of God. We're to value it. Stronger faith will find you in the place of worship at every opportunity. Not because we're a perfect church or because of who might be preaching the sermon. But because worship itself is the exercise of faith. Worship is the best thing we can do to build up the muscle of faith. As we take our eyes off those short term attractions of the world. Or we take our eyes off ourselves in our limitations. And we fix our eyes upon our promise making promise-keeping God. My prayer for each of us today is that we wouldn't make Lot's mistakes. He's just a tragic figure, not because he wasn't a believer, but because he is a believer, and yet he moves himself as far as he can from the place of worship and the place of blessing. He was getting too comfortable in the world. And if that's you today, Christian or not, you need to repent And you need to get away from your comfort in the world and get your eyes off the attractions of the world and fix your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ who has exercised strong faith on our behalf, who has dealt with the dispute between sinful people and a holy God who didn't settle for short-term gain but for long-term promises. Because of him, whatever your circumstances today, you have reason to worship And in worshipping you will strengthen your faith. Regardless of your circumstances. And to illustrate that point. To share with you a story from Ralph Davis' little book on Abraham. Which I mentioned last week. Tells the story of Robert Balmer. Who became a professor of theology in Scotland in the early 1800s. Robert's father died when he was just 10 years old. When Robert was 10 years old. Uh, When he was alive each night Robert would bring the Bible and the other books that his father wanted to use for family worship and he would give the books to his father to read. And on the evening that his father died, Robert brought the books as usual and set them down before his mother, which understandably provoked a cry of sorrow from his mother. But Robert told her that though his father had gone, God would be a father to them and that he would still hear their prayers. We must not go to bed tonight without worshipping him, Robert said. That's what stronger faith does, friends. It keeps on exercising the muscle of faith with eyes firmly fixed on God's long-term promises. So may we, like Abraham, exercise our faith, strengthen our faith, and return regularly to worship God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.